Um, we're carrying on tonight with the, the series we're doing on Disciple. Um, last time we did this, so last month, we looked at um, if you're a Christian, you're called to be a disciple and make disciples, uh, which is like such a good reminder. This week, what we're looking at is the most important thing when it comes to following Jesus, because not everything is equally important, and so we want to talk about the main thing. So if you have a Bible, um, why don't you whip it open um, to 1 Corinthians 15, um, and I'm going to read the first four verses and then pray for us as we get stuck in. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul writes, and he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you received it in vain, or unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to, to Cephas and to the twelve. Can I pray? Look, I just pray for us um, tonight as we gather and look at um, this idea of the main thing um, and that is the good news of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray as we get stuck into something that for many of us is familiar, I just pray you'd open our eyes and our minds to like fresh truths in this, to refresh us with the, the beauty of what it means to know Jesus and follow him and love him. So Lord, I just pray for all of us. We're tired. It's the end of the year, uh, a long year for a lot of us. And, you know, it's late on a Sunday with, with work or holidays tomorrow, um, depending if you're a uni student or not. And um, Lord, I just pray you give us grace. Lord, help us tonight to hear from you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to kick off with a question. All right, so just we're going to spend a little bit of time just seeing and thinking about this question. And the question is this What is your life centered on? Uh, is it centered on a relationship? Maybe a career path that, that you're on. Maybe it's centered on academic achievement or success, or even like a Christian ministry or family. Maybe it's centered on approval of your friends, or holidays, or food, or fashion, or getting a foot in the property market, or making a difference in the world. What is your life centered on? That's a question I want us to think about. Here's a tough following question to that one, to really get at it. What would those who know you best say your life is centered on? What would the people closest to you say? It's one thing to know what we should say, but it's nothing to know what others would say about us. And this evening, like the one point that we've been talking about, and we're going to be talking about the main thing, I want to show you that the life of a disciple of Jesus is to be centered on the gospel. Um, that is the good news about Jesus in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his return. This is the main thing. But more than that, I don't want to just show us that if you're a Christian, your life's meant to be centered on the gospel. I want to show you more than what that that's what you ought to do. I actually want to show you that being centered on the gospel is the key to a life of abundant joy, actually. It's a secret to having actual joy in your life. And that's really where we're going um, with tonight on this uh, message we're calling it the main thing. Two parts. I, I want to start by looking at what does gospel, why does gospel-centered living matter? Why does it matter to keep the gospel at, at, at the center? And that's what I'm going to spend most of the time going to be talking about, talking about. 
And then the second part I want to look at is, or how can I sort of briefly, um, this one's going to be brief, how can I begin to grow in gospel-centered living? Like how can we, how can I begin to sort of have this as, as part of my life? Okay, so first, first point, why does gospel-centered living matter? And the first thing I want to say about this is gospel-centered living matters um, because gospel-centered living is simply being faithful to the Bible. That's, that's all it is. Um, as a church, we're gospel-centered because we believe the Bible, like this whole book, is at its center about the gospel. Um, when I joined Sovereign Grace um, first about 10 years ago, and um, I heard first that we're gospel-centered, I actually found that really confusing, a bit puzzling, and I thought, well, isn't the gospel kind of the beginning of being a Christian? Like, the gospel is the message that you, you know, you, you find out about it, you go, yep, that's true about Jesus and what he did, and then you move on from the gospel to other things, to deeper things, learning more about intricacies of what it means to, to follow God and all that sort of stuff. Why would you be centered on the basics? Um, that's what I used to think. And what I discovered is the gospel, it's not the ticket to heaven, it's not the basics, but it's actually the power to save us, not just in the past, but also in the present and also in the future. And in fact, I learned that the gospel is the central message of the whole Bible, actually. Um, why don't you read with me again verses 3 and 4 in that passage I was reading, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So Paul taught that not everything in the Christian life is of equal importance. That's the first thing. There is one central teaching in the Bible that is of first importance, and that is the gospel. Gospel, if you're less familiar with the Bible, it just simply means good news. It's good news about Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul was preaching to people all the time. Um, the gospel that Paul preached, it, he says that it's that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, uh, in accordance with the message of the Bible, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And he repeats it again, in accordance with the scriptures. See, Paul saw the message of Jesus dying for our sins and being raised as the very first most important thing. Um, Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 2, so if you turn back in um, Corinthians, he says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul's saying, there was like one singular focus I had in my teaching, and that is to teach that Jesus and, and Him crucified. Um, again, Paul says in Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like Paul's whole life was on about one thing and one thing only, and that was Jesus and His death and His resurrection. Thanks. <laughs> Bye, <laughs> um, and after his resurrection, that's actually what Jesus himself taught um, in Luke 24, 27. Um, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, interpreted to them, that's the disciples, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Paul, um, sorry, Luke writes and says that Jesus went through like all of, all of the scriptures, all of the Bible and explained how it all points to him. And that's what Paul said, like twice in our passage, he says it, in accordance with the scriptures. This is the message of the whole scriptures. The gospel is written 
um, in some way in every page of your Bible. Like it's the message of the whole book. So the gospel isn't just entry-level Christianity. It's the blazing center of the Bible and the Christian life. It's not a message that we kind of learn and then we move on from it. Um, but it's a message we mine it for its limitless riches all of our days in following Jesus. Um, David Pryor has famously said this. He says, we never move on from the cross only into a more profound understanding of the cross. The cross isn't something that you come to like understand it and then, okay, move, I'll move on to deeper things. No, you spend your whole life if you're following Jesus going deeper and deeper and deeper into understanding all that Christ did for you. So that, that's the first point. Um, we, we're gospel-centered because it's just being faithful to the Bible, right? That's what the Bible teaches. But secondly, because the gospel isn't just a ticket to heaven, as I mentioned before, but it's actually power for today as well. Um, the message of the gospel, I've heard it explained like neatly in four parts, right? Four different aspects of it. Um, the first one, creation, right? That God made the universe and everything in it. Um, this idea that, that God made everything perfectly and he made us living in harmony with him, just like we were hearing this morning about the Garden of Eden, right, at church. Um, that he made humanity as the pinnacle of creation in his image to know him and to love him. And that he entrusted us, humanity, with the task of governing the world. Creation, first point. Uh, secondly, not just creation, but fall. That we as mankind rejected God's rule and we chose self-governance. That there was this breakdown that occurred between God and man that led to chaos and death. That all of us as men begin to face divine judgment and wrath for treason against God. And that all of our brokenness and our pain ultimately stems from the fall as we continue in Adam's footsteps. But not just fall, redemption as well. That God sent his son to die in our place. That God is so committed to rescuing the people that have forsaken him that he sends Christ, who lives in perfect obedience, dies in our place on the cross so that we can be forgiven our sins. And that's usually where we kind of end it, right? Like when we think about the gospel. But that's not where the gospel ends. Jesus didn't just stay dead. He was raised from death to the newness of life. And we now move on to the fourth point of the gospel, which is new creation. And that is that God has begun a new creation, which he one day plans to, to complete. That we are spiritual new creatures that are being constantly changed by God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus reigns from on high, but will one day return and restore all things um, in the new creation where we'll join and we'll feast and we'll eat and we'll be reunited with God like we were back in Eden, but greater. Um, read with me again back those first two verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this. He says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which, notice what he says, you are being saved. You catch that? By which you're being saved. They stand in the gospel. They've come to know Jesus and they've received that message of the gospel, but they're being saved by the gospel. There's this constant work that's going on in their life as Jesus continues his active work of new creation, molding them and shaping them into the image of Christ. Through the gospel... They're being saved from their old way of living day by day. It's not just the message of the, the death of Jesus for us. It's the message of his resurrection as well. It's the message of his ascension. It's the sending of the Holy Spirit. It's new birth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul writes in, in Romans, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. 
Um, but I think this is so different from actually the way we think about the gospel and the way we think about being Christians and, what, and the way we think about even our story of salvation. Um, Jeff Vanderstelt, in one of the books I'm going to recommend for you guys um, called Gospel Fluency, he says this, and I think it's so helpful. He says, suppose someone says, I was saved when I was 10. Saved from what? I have to be honest and say that I'm very concerned that most people who grew up in the church don't actually know what they mean when they say things like this. At the least, they have a very minimalist view of salvation. I've been saved from going to hell when I die because I prayed a prayer I was instructed to pray. When we talk about the gospel, we're not just talking about a doctrine we write down and quote. We're talking about the very real dynamic power of God to create, redeem, and save. The power of the gospel is the power that enabled Jesus to overcome temptation, to preach with authority, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and to rise from the dead himself. The gospel is not just dogma, though it is, though it is doctrine we believe. It's not just history, though it is historical. It's not just past, though it happened. The gospel is the power of God made available to us through the Son of God who gave his life for us. He is alive and at work in those who believe by the Spirit. And that power is exerted, is presently available, and will keep us safe until the end. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of our entire lives. Did you catch that? The gospel isn't just the message that you believe and then that's it, you're saved. The gospel is power that completely transforms our lives. And the gospel is, is, is power that speaks to us now in the present. You know, it, it's powerful life now. And this has just been my life experience just in the last week. Like, I've got a pretty heavy preaching schedule at the moment, and my business is, like, really busy. Um, uh, Paul's laughing, because <laughs> he knows. Um, and actually, I was on my way out of the church office to see a client at the end of the day that I usually do on a Wednesday. And I was getting into my car, and I was just really anxious. I was just feeling super, super anxious and tired as well at the same time. And as I was leaving the hospital, uh, leaving work, I just got thinking, why am I so anxious right now and I got thinking okay I'm trying to wrap up a message about the gospel in all of life and so I thought okay how should the gospel give me hope right now and then I suddenly realized well why am I even working in the first place I'm working so I can support you know my family whatever but God's been abundantly faithful and he's given me a job that's paying really well but I'm working in part so I can glorify Christ. I'm, I'm doing this for money in, in one sense, to support my family, to support my church. But I'm also doing this to, to love and serve the people that I'm going to, to be with, to serve Jesus. Like my whole life's about worshiping Jesus. And Jesus is reigning on the throne, not me. And Jesus is coming back soon. I'm just living in the last few days in between the, the now of, of my life and the coming soon kingdom of God. And then just suddenly I just realized, like, why am I worried and anxious about just... What's going on now? I've lost my perspective, right? That's the power of the gospel for the right now. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. The gospel is power for today. So that's point two. Point or reason number three, because gospel-centered living, and I, I alluded to this before, is the key to true joy actually in life. Um, that's a question to think about. How much joy are you experiencing right now in your walk with Jesus? You see, when the gospel becomes peripheral in our lives and not central, 
there's like so many joy-robbing temptations that we face. And I want to talk about three of them. The first joy-robbing temptation that we can face is a thing called subjectivism. And that's basing your standing before God on how you feel. Right? And I used to struggle with this uh, uh, a lot. And I think our culture lends itself to it. We live in a culture that tells us to follow our desires, to be true to yourself. You are what you feel. Um, your feelings should inform what you ought to do, what is true. And so we can begin to base our standing before God on how we're feeling. Um, for me, sometimes, you know, it used to be the case. You wake up and you're in a good mood. And you're feeling happy. And to be like, yes, God loves me. It's amazing. My life is great. But then the next day, you have a rough night or something like that. Or someone's mean to you. You wake up, you're feeling sad. And suddenly God is absent and he doesn't care about you at all. Um, and so you find yourself riding this roller coaster up and down. The truth of the Bible, one of the truths of Scripture that I love is from 1 Peter 5.5. 5. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here's where that comes into play with subjectivism. See, humility is recognizing that what you feel is not necessarily what is real. Right? And so, and so humility chooses to believe what God says instead of what I feel. Um, and that kind of like looks like preaching the truth to yourself. See, the antidote to subjectivism and just basing our standing with God and how we feel is pre- preaching the truth of the gospel to ourselves each and every day. It's saying, you know what, I'm feeling lousy today, but God does still love me. Why? Because Christ came and gave up his life for me. And that is the attitude of God towards me. So if God is willing to lay down his very life for me, God surely loves me and I can trust him and Get away from me, thoughts. That is not true. What I feel is not what is real. Um, so that's the first joy-robbing temptation we face if we stray from the gospel, subjectivism. The second joy-robbing temptation is legalism. Uh, C.J. Mahaney says, Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and justification before God through obedience to God. It's thinking that you can achieve forgiveness and a good standing with God through doing the right thing. That's legalism. And that is not the truth of the gospel. In our culture, though, no one actually really wants to be accused of being a legalist um, because we live in a culture that values tolerance and acceptance above all, right? So legalism doesn't tend to sneak in through the front door. It actually sneaks in unsuspectingly. Um, And the way it kind of looks, legalism, um, for a lot of us, it can look like this. Um, on a Sunday morning, if you've had a really good week and you've been killing it, you read the Bible every week, you prayed every week, you're a really good friend, you did a really good job, you come to church and you're like down the front and you're like, Jesus, you're amazing! Hallelujah! And you're praising and you're singing and you're like, yeah, this is great, this is amazing. Yeah, so good. Right? But the next week, you didn't read the Bible at all. The whole week, you didn't pray. Um, then you maybe, you cussed like out your mum or something, you had a really bad week and you're feeling guilty, you're a bad friend, you gossiped and you got found out, you got caught and so you're like, ah, I'm so rubbish, I'm a terrible friend and so then you come into church, you stand at the back, you put your head down, you think, I, I shouldn't even be here. Well, what makes you able to like really praise one week and then think that you should stand it back the other week? Just your works, what you've done. So one week, because you've done so good, you're on fire. And the other week, because you've done so bad, you're not. That's just legalism. 
That's basing your standing before God based on what you do. Um, see, the message of the gospel is you never deserve to come before God. No, There's not a week in your life that you've, you've deserved it. But day after day after day, God offers you grace because of the Lord Jesus. And that's the message of the gospel. And so that's the second joy-robbing temptation is legalism. And the third is the flip of that, which is licentiousness, which is basically lawless living. It's saying you're a Christian whilst living as you please. But the fruit of that is it turns into joyless living because you miss walking closely with Christ and the joy of knowing how to please Him in the Word. You see, gospel-centered living rescues us from this. It's a daily reminder of His great mercy. Um, I heard an awesome illustration about this from Tim Keller. Um, he describes um, kind of the licentious kind of living um, using this illustration. He's like, imagine there's someone in your life you really love so much, right? You, you like, you, maybe it's like you're married, that's like a husband or a wife or something like that. And you, you love them so much. And imagine that they got murdered by an arrow. Someone shot them with an arrow and they died. Um, and you went through all of that grief. And then a friend found the arrow that they used to murder your loved one. And they said, you know, here, Josh, um, thought you might like it as a memento. <laughs> like, what would you say? You'd be like, get that thing away from me. I want nothing to do with that. That's, that's, that's horrible. That's disgusting. I don't want a piece of that in my life. And the point he made is when we keep living and doing the things that nail Jesus to the cross, it's like carrying around the nails in our hands. And if we really love Jesus, we wouldn't want a bar of it. We wouldn't want to live that way because we love him so much. And you see, that's the beauty of the power of the gospel. When we see Christ and we see all he's done from us, it frees us from like license and living how we please because we see the beauty of, of who he is and we don't want to put him through all that again as well. So three joy-robbing temptations. Uh, subjectivism, basing on our standing before God and how we feel. Legalism, based on what we do, and license on just not caring at all. All of them rob us of joy. And, 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 and gospel-centered living is this beautiful source of joy because it's a continual reminder of both the depravity of us, we're worse than we ever thought, and yet the mercy of God towards us. We're more loved than we could have ever imagined. It's a daily reminder that every day we, we, we receive not what we deserve. We receive far more than what we deserve. And it's a daily reminder of the power at work within us, which gives us so much hope to face anything that we, we could find ourselves facing. So thirdly, not, um, that because the gospel is a, a source, amazing source of joy, but fourthly, because the gospel speaks to all of our life, um, which is one thing that we've been, I've been sort of alluding to the whole time through. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges we face in our post-Christian city. It's this kind of idea of compartmental Christianity. Faith is meant to be kind of this private thing between you and God, and so we kind of keep it to ourselves. You know, this idea that we keep, I keep mentioning, it's like gospel is kind of a ticket to heaven, so you pray the prayer, and then you just kind of get on with your life. And the fruit is that Jesus is kind of like a part of your life, but he's not your whole life. And for many of us, we speak one way to our Christian friends, or one evidence of this is we speak one way to our Christian friends, but when we're with our non-Christian friends, we speak kind of in this completely different way. And it's kind of part of the reason for that, I think, is in, in one part, we might be nervous and kind of afraid of offending or upsetting people. 
But a large part of it is actually that we're used to thinking about life apart from Jesus. We're actually not used to looking at all of life through the beautiful lens of the gospel. You see, everybody actually believes a gospel about who they are, how they got here, what's wrong with the world, and what's wrong with the world. And so for many of my non-Christian friends, they have those four same points they believe about the story of their life. Creation. Um, for many of my, my friends who are not Christians, they believe that they're here because of an accident of the universe, a, a chance result of evolution, a miracle of history, and that life is about maximizing enjoyment and being true to self. Um, they also have a belief about fall, the brokenness in the world. Uh, for many of my friends, they believe it's due to poor education and inequality or mistreatment by my parents or exploitation by the rich few. Um, and they also have a redemption story that they believe, that my personal hope is being the best human I can and trying to make a difference in the world where I can by being a good citizen and minimizing my carbon footprint. Um, and they also have a new creation story that they believe. That is, that through education and good governance, when they stretch across the world, um, that they'll be able to create a harmonious planet living in step with the natural environment. It's a gospel. Um, everybody has a gospel that they tell themselves about creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. But without preaching the gospel to ourselves, here's the thing. We can slowly begin to believe the world's gospel. More, we need to learn where the true gospel is different from the world's gospel. See, as Christians, we believe in a different gospel where Jesus is the hope and not us, either individually or collectively. We need to learn how the message of the gospel of Jesus applies to every situation, how it informs our identity, that we're created by God as his child. I'm not merely what I feel. How it informs our home, where I live is not random. Um, my failings are forgiven. Um, about our workplace, that my job is ultimately not about me, you know, that I'm to be present nine to five, but, but to serve Jesus. That relationships are, are about often for, for guys and girls about marriage and that marriage is meant to be about Christ and the church and that dating is meant to point to that. That study is, yeah, on one level about the mind, but it's using my mind for his glory and, and to work towards the future is to serve more than just about a certificate or earning a piece of paper. It's meant to be about worship. That leisure and my free time is a gift from God to be used for his glory. That everything good is from him and for him, including my holidays. And that the environment is created by God and that's good to steward it, but it's cursed. And it's only hope of being redeemed is by God himself. You see, part of our challenge in this is that we're just not fluent in the gospel. We're not used to speaking this way or thinking about the world in this way. We struggle to see the world this way. And we don't even speak this way to one another. You know, do you feel like you never have an opportunity to share Jesus with your friends? I mean, the biggest issue I often have is, is that on one level, I don't really love Christ enough. But the next big issue I face, I think, is that I'm just not used to seeing the world through Jesus' eyes, looking at the world the way he does. We don't share the gospel with each other so often. And so it feels weird when we try to talk to someone about Jesus because we're not even talking to each other about Jesus. So why does gospel-centered living matter? Because gospel-centered living is simply about being faithful to the Bible, because the gospel isn't just a ticket to heaven, but power for today. Uh, because the gospel-centered living is the, the key to true joy and because the gospel speaks to all of life, not just to Sundays. Um, that's the first question I wanted to ask. I just wanted to close with like a handful of just points, just answering a question. 
How can I begin to grow in gospel-centered living? And this is something that I think maybe we can group work a bit. I wanted to put um, a couple of resources in your hands. <coughs> See if I can find my bag around here somewhere. I've got two books in my bag. Corey, can you grab out the books from my bag? Just Yeah. And you can show them around. Okay, cool. This is called Gospel Fluency. You can pass it around. Thanks, Corey. And then this is called The Cross Center Life by C.J. Mahaney. Uh, the Cross Center Life is... Uh, the first half is about... A lot of the stuff that I talked about tonight, just about, in particular, about those three joy-robbing temptations that we face as Christians. You might be familiar with, with that book. Um, and the second half has actually got some really cool practical steps about how you might like grow in, in living with the gospel at the center. Um, gospel fluency is based on that premise that I was mentioning before, which is that like just like learning a language for the first time, if you're not used to speaking a language, it's awkward and you kind of struggle and stuff. And like we need to learn the language of the gospel. We need to learn how to look at all of life through the lens of the gospel and speak gospel to one another. That's an amazing book. Uh, it's one of my favorite books. So, my first suggestion, if you want to grow in gospel-centered living, uh, read one of these books. Um, buy a copy. We sell them at the bookshop at church, so you can grab a copy, or you can get it on eBay, or you can get it on Kindle, or something like that. Um, second thing, if you, if you really want to grow in it, ask someone to disciple you. Find an older Christian, someone who's been walking with Jesus for long ago, um, you respect in the church, and say, hey... Would you like to disciple me? It takes humility, but that's a beautiful way to grow if you want to grow in this. Um, thirdly, make sure you know the gospel. Um, sit down and think about it. If I was to ask you, what is the gospel? Um, would you know what to say? Would you know how to answer that question? Um, spend some time learning the gospel so that you know it and put it to memory so that you remember it. Uh, so read one of these books. You could ask them to disciple you. You could... Make sure that you know the gospel. That's really important. Um, and put it to memory. Um, fourthly, rehearse it daily. When was the last time you just reminded yourself of the gospel? Spend some time to do that. We don't naturally think about life in the gospel. We wake up Monday morning. For me, I'm really tired. And so I feel slightly sick when I think about the rest of the day that's ahead of me. And I'm not thinking like Christ's exalting thoughts the first thing in the morning. Like I'm thinking, woe is me. You know, um, John Piper has this thing where he says, like, in the mornings, he's not even, like, a Christian at all. He needs to, like, really, like, preach the gospel to himself to, to, to get his, his day in perspective. When you wake up, preach the gospel to yourself. When you pray, preach the gospel to yourself. When you encourage others, preach the gospel to them. Share the gospel with them. Um, so that's the fourth thing. Rehearse it daily. Rehearse it all the time to yourself. Remind yourself of the truths of the gospel. And last but not least, give yourself to a gospel community. Um, that's really the place, community, where we learn to see all of life through the lens of the gospel, where we learn to speak the truths of the gospel to encourage one another. Um, so five quick little points there on how you can grow in gospel-centered living. All right. Uh, what I want to do now is for us to break up into uh, little groups, um, if you want, um, maybe threes and fours or however, however you want to do it. And we're going to spend a good amount of time just chatting. Um, about a couple of questions. Uh, firstly, would you describe yourself as being gospel-centered? Um, if your honest sort of answer to that would be no, um, maybe you could spend some time just sharing even what do you think is taking the place of the gospel in your life? What's, what, if you've been, not been centered on the gospel, what have you been centered on? Um, 
And if the answer is yes, maybe spend some time sharing how have you gotten there and what's kind of helped you to have that um, at the center of your life. Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. Uh, would you describe yourself as being gospel-centered? Um, second thing uh, I thought would be cool to spend some time um, just chatting about is, are you experiencing much joy in your Christian life at the moment? Um, and just spend some time, just if, if you are, maybe share some things that are giving you joy in following Jesus right now. And if you're not, maybe just some reflections on, on why you think that might be the case. Um, what do you think you know, might be robbing you of joy right now? Um, and in particular, you know, whether it's any of those three things that we were talking about before, you know, um, like legalism or license or subjectivism. You know. All right, so two questions. Would you describe yourself as being gospel-centered and are you experiencing much joy in your, in your Christian life right now? All right, so find your groups, spend a good amount of time chatting, and then um, when you guys run out of things to talk about, uh, or you feel like wrapping it up, or our true leader Paul decides it's time, <laughs> we'll, um, we'll call it. expanding from gospel community to this now. Oh, you know, bro, you know, you know, it's true, man. Yeah, Dave Taylor's not the lead pastor, it's Paul Reed. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. How are you, Pastor Paul? <laughs>